Hi all, I welcome you to the Building Culture podcast where I invite incredibly smart people who build things whether they be engineers, entrepreneurs, programmers, hobbyists or researchers it does not matter as long as you're someone who's passionate about building things I'll find you and podcast you. Hi all I want to take a brief moment to thank you all personally for supporting this podcast on YouTube and on all major podcast platforms including Google Podcasts and Spotify the podcast mainly features interesting people in robotics artificial intelligence and entrepreneurship if you believe that the information that I'm providing might be of benefit to you or to someone you know it would be really great if you could hit the subscribe button and press the notification icon so that you can get notified on time whenever the next part is out it would literally take you a second or two to subscribe to the podcast but it would really mean a lot to me because i can grow the podcast to a level that where i can reach more people invite ever more interesting guests and have a more meaningful impact so let's begin now Yeah. So with mm-hmm. with Aeolus uh, robots, uh, not only was it uh, I I think the part of the challenge was and also you mentioned about the difficult phase of running Aeolus uh, robot uh, robotics uh, was uh, because of course you were running a hardware based startup and at the same time you were also targeting a a, a really difficult problem right of uh, grasping and manipulation in such uh, environments. uh so as far as uh, con- uh, the building the startup part is concerned so uh what what were the challenges in in uh, building this uh, the startup and uh, were they were they primarily due to the hardware and the algorithms and the uh, uh, technical challenge involved or were there other problems also other challenges also that were more uh, startup specific let's say So I think in general um I see at least three big um challenges in robotic startups. The one is the budget, second one okay. is talent and third one is expectation. Okay. So first one the budget um it's it's not software so you have the the hardware and the hardware is not cheap and yeah. since you do something with the hardware and do new stuff and interact with a uh, ai so not really so intelligent um, machines think things break and you need a lot of specialists and and so it's something that really costs um a lot of money and so at elos this was not my problem of course but in general getting the money because yeah. um you need a lot of them is is a main um challenge mm-hmm. and the second challenge is getting the talent um it's cutting edge technology and if you want to really um succeed it that's my personal opinion um it's not enough to have mediocre people because then um other companies will um will will be faster and it's 
not always so easy to get um, really people that are outstanding mm. in, in what they're doing. And for example, for grasping, there are not so many people who are really um, specialized on mm. this. And the people who do yeah, are often not so, so easy to get. And yeah, so this is one thing where I also at ALUS also become a hiring manager because I really put focus on um, getting the talent and then find, find good people. So um, yeah, so this is for me a main, main challenge mm. that, yeah. And of course, expectation is also one thing that, that it's, that you have to learn how, how to deal with it because often this is for customers, but also for investors, they are used seeing robots in movies iRobot or whatever, or um, even in, in TV, in normal broadcasting, in, in TV shows or yeah. in, in in the news. And this is, of course, all, also a problem. If a, a TV team comes to you, records your robot, they don't want to show the robot failing. So they, at the end, cut something. doesn't matter how good or bad um the robot performed when they were here. At the end, they, sh they want to show something where it looks like the robot works well and <laughs> and they don't show in three engineers working three hours to, to get something running. And at the end, um, yeah. Okay. So, so um, and I think it's great what um, is already there. And for example, especially what, what also what Alice was doing over the la last years, but having a general purpose household robot is still a long way to go. Long way to go. And, and there you have this, you have to also explain, um, yeah, customers. And then because the expectations are so high, this is also something um, where, where you need time and where you don't have to can't give up early and, and you need yeah. to work on something for for longer period of time uh, yeah so uh, let's talk about uh, the hobbit robot so uh, you mentioned that the hobbit robot was also very similar to the aeolus robot except that a hobbit was probably more for the research right and uh, aeolus robot was uh, more specific to uh, catering the elderly uh, of course I think both were for service and elderly care but uh, the airless robot was for industry applications and that was more of a research focus so can you talk briefly about Hobbit robot as well yeah so the Hobbit robot has one arm uh, at the beginning we had two cameras two ASOS and cameras um, one at the head one at the torso um, for um, navigation, localization, and also population. Yeah. And um, it could navigate freely. It could be um, called by um, self-powering um, buttons. Um, it supported the users. So, as I said before, the main feature was that the robot could patrol and check if somebody is lying on the ground and if the person was lying on the ground then it approached the person and asked if it should um, call help 
Mm. And if there was no reaction, um, the robot um, called either a person, a relative, or directly, or also if the the relative was not reached, it directly could call um, the ambulance. And mm. um, the robot had three um, ways to communicate to. So um, the robot um, could interpret gestures. So you could do different things like yes, um, no, and and some other um, gestures where the robot then um, yeah could understand it. Or as I said before, it also could do body tracking and yeah. and um, give um, training tips um, depending on the body movement. So it was gestures. Of course, it could um, recognize speech. So you could also use um, voice to command and tell a robot um, to come or tell him some kind of uh, easy um, commands. Okay. Um, pick up and, and trigger some some commands like picking up, learning an object, yeah. and and patrolling, and yeah. So voice gestures. And of course, it had a um, it has a tab, tab, uh, tablet on yeah. it, but the user could also play stuff and also could interact directly with the robot if the robot was already near um, to the user. Okay. Um, it has it had a in uh, built in turntable, so the robot could um, take his go with his hand to his body and took out a turntable and could learn together with the user uh, new objects. So um, a key idea of, of the Hobbit the robot was that it's a the mutual, mutual care robot. So the idea was that not only the robot helps the, um, the customer, the user, yeah. um, but also the other way around. And oh. that this should then help also down in, in getting a better bounding between the user and the robot and make it easier for the user to ignore it if the robot sometimes works not perfectly. And so we, what was also test in this project, how does it make a difference? Or how big is the difference if the robot actively asks for help and is more communicative? Um, compared to just being a machine that gets strict orders and hmm. just executes what was um, ordered. Yeah, yeah, that's that's very uh, interesting, and I think that is also something that uh, when this technology becomes robust, would be also serving a lot of people, also, right? in this area mm. so that's that's pretty interesting so uh, based on your journey uh, so you have uh, you have worked a lot in uh, robotic robot manipulation and grasping research so how did you actually got interested in this uh, domain uh, actually is it because of the initial experiences that you had and then after that you pursued more and more or how did you actually choose this field as your uh, area of expertise yeah, it's, it's very similar to, to how you describe it first. So yeah. um, 
So actually, I first, as I told before, um, read about the project. And then when I joined university, there was another project because okay. the first project was not about grasping. And I thought, hey, this project is even more interesting. <laughs> yeah. And and then I started with grasping. And there was, a, uh, when I started this project, who ran already for two years at this time, there was a, a shift and a change of people. So when I started, I was in our group, the, the only one working on this project because for others finished PhD or left for other reasons. And um, yeah, so I started first alone at the, in Vienna, but it was an international EU project with many partners. So I was not completely alone, of course. <laughs> and yeah, but so I came into this area and started there. And then I got more and more interested and, and this is how i ended up being yeah grasping um focused okay perfect yeah uh, yeah so uh, the more uh, you were involved in and also you mentioned you were working independently on different uh, areas so you you could you know try out different ideas and you could then uh, became more and more interested uh, you know and develop more expertise in that so now let's talk about your research. I think this is one of your first research uh, uh, that uh, research papers also that you published. Maybe I'm wrong. I, I think you've also published more before that. Uh, but I also saw the video of uh, emptying your bin using uh, height accumulated features. Uh, mm -hmm. This one. Can you also uh, try to explain simply uh what is going on in in this research and uh what what problem was uh how how are you trying to solve the emptying the bin problem here so um the goal or one of the main goals of the grasping project where i started was if you put a basket with any objects in um, in front of Robert, the robot should be able to grasp one by one and empty the basket. Hmm. Um, and yeah, here I developed an uh, approach that can grasp anything that has um, something, a place where the robot can pick it and yeah, put it, uh, so grasp it and put it away or manipulate or use it. So, so the main reason, the main um, purpose was on emptying a basket without any um, higher um, utilizing action. So okay, didn't just pick a hammer and then did um, hammering. Um, it was really just grasp anything that is there and yeah, empty the basket. Okay. And... Yeah, therefore, I developed, uh, as you said, and the height accumulated feature approach, um, which is, so I give um, an intuitive idea how it works. Um, its intuition is quite um, simple. So okay. if you want to grasp something, um, there must be places where you can put um, fingers around. Of hmm. course, you could also, you could, you could balance um, stuff. You could um, use kind of a strange force from inside. Uh. You could, could use 
force closure methods where you could use suction cups, but for almost all objects that are not huge or heavy, um, uh, grasping approach with a parallel gripper, two-finger gripper, um, enables um, picking up um, objects. Okay. And so this is um, my approach that I say, okay, I just want to learn if there are objects, where can I place um, fingers to grasp them? Because two-finger gripper, parallel gripper is simple, but I was always interested in um, the practical um, usage and practically it makes, in my opinion, for current robots not so much sense to, to simulate and plan grasps with um, 15 degrees of freedom fingers where we have three degrees of freedom mm. for, for one finger, but um, then the robot's finger misses the supposed position anyway, but just two centimeters just from the finger because the strings are not set up correctly. Okay. So it has, of course, um, its value. And for the future, it's very good to do research on this. But for practical usage, it's just, I think it's enough to focus on such simple um, gripper embodiment like a two-finger gripper. Mm -hmm. And yeah, what I also, the um, approach is also um, not trying to guess um, the shape of object. So if I have object here, I do not even, I just do not really care what is here behind because mm. since I have here something, it doesn't matter if this is a, a T form. Um, so if I can have here something, it doesn't matter if here goes a bit up in this direction or in this direction, because if the gripper is here, I can just use this point here to grasp. Okay. So it's also not handling um, about um, object um, completion. Um, it also is not dependent on segmentation hmm. um, because this is also extremely hard problem where it's a workaround. And so it's a practical approach, but I think, yeah, uh, very, yeah was on the positive side, it's a practical approach. And the idea um, comes actually also from the vision community. So mm -hmm. the idea is from a Viola Jones paper from 2001 with far features where they used um, rectangles to say, okay, I compare the different, the, the average um, uh, darkness uh, of, of faces in, this this area here with this area here. Okay. And therefore, it, they made it possible that you do um, face detection in, in real time. And my approach is, is based on that, um, that I say, okay, if I have here an object and I check um, the height, let's say a rectangle in the center mm -hmm. and compare this average height after I made a uh, discretization with, let's say, this area. And if the inner area is on average higher, is protruding, protruding, protruding um, then it's an indicator that is possible to place um, fingers there and there is space. 
of course, this is just the intuitive um, explanation. Mm -hmm. um, there are then a lot more um, features that were developed and surprisingly not just the intuitive version. So the intuitive version has two rectangular areas that you, where you compared the average heights with each other. Um, that were not even the best features. So better features had three or four um, rectangular areas. And so here I, I then generated automatically over 100,000 features, used the F-score to measure the contribution of each feature, selected the best features. And with these um, features, then I made a classificator that just, so where the classification um, method just tells me if I have a gripper, a two-finger gripper, and I have a defined position and an object and point cloud here, and if I go straight down and as far as possible and then close the gripper, is this a successful grasp, yes or no? Okay. So this is the classifier that was learned where I generated a database out of 15,000 um, examples, positive and negative examples, and with a kind of um, yeah, relatively clear uh, distinction what would lead to successful grasp and what um, not. And this classification um, is then used to, for let's say we have a whole point cloud, then you can use this classification on the whole, let's make a grid and on the whole grid and um, rotate the point cloud in each direction. And so you can um, explore the whole grasping space using this um, classifier. Um, what is a key feature of the approach is that so, so then the result of using the classifier, let's say just in, in the plane, um, is you get a grid, because if everything is discretized, discretized, you get a grid that indicates for each, let's say one by one centimeter cell, can I, is it, would it be successful if I go over this position with the gripper, go down and close. And so I have a whole area with, let's say green and red um, rectangles or cube or no no the two-dimensional two cube okay. i'm searching for um so with um, squares and okay, okay. where um, a heuristic then selects the one grasp where in the area around there are also uh, many grasps where not just the, the point itself mm -hmm. indicates a graspable position for the gripper, but also the points around. Because this is makes the, the um, approach very robust because it means, okay, I have here a grasp, yeah. but also here and here. And so if the gripper cannot reach exactly the position that it's supposed to reach, mm -hmm. then it would still be successful and compared to some vision-based um, approaches i think this is um, extremely helpful that it makes everything more robust and uh, okay. yeah so and yeah of course 
these kind of features is actually, um, uh, you could see it as a subset, also that the heuristics later on of uh, deep learning. I think it would be possible to um, do the same thing with deep learning. Hmm. And I tried to learn directly at the time I, I had the idea of this approach to learn directly on the height grid. So in the discretized heights of the points. And, and also just recently I tried to use my database with deep learning to, yeah, to train a classifier. And what was very interesting is although with enough um, data, it should be theoretically it's definitely positive to learn um, this, the same thing, but with the same data price, I couldn't manage to get the same generalization for my test mm. and validation sets. Um, yeah, so by using the features that I used, it enables and makes it way easier for algorithms to do the generalization and to um, be that useful full for grasping. And okay. yeah, I think I yeah. forgot some of, of, of the details to mention, but this is um, the one part of my grasping pipeline. And it was always so the half height accumulated features and the grasp detection was just, I would say, one third of my work when I um, implemented grasping. Because this is not just where should the, the gripper go. Um, the second part that is, I think, always very crucial is how far exactly should the hand then go down? And this is not included in the half grasping, so the code that is also available on, on Ross on Ross page okay. um, has a heuristic implemented, included, that, that you can roughly go um, more or less, it looks where are the highest points in this area, and then it goes um, so that it yeah, goes to the right depth. It goes to more or less to the right position, but it's not yeah. so accurate. Ah, okay. Here, uh, I forgot to mention one um, key feature of my approach. It, what's also very important, it doesn't just learn the the part of the object, uh, more or less grasp affordance of the object, dependent on the object where it can can the gripper can place, but it also learns if other stuff is around that it cannot go there. And this helps for, for path planning. And path planning is also a main issue um, for grasping. Hmm. Um, so the second part I was talking about um, calculates how far the hand can go down. And therefore, I out of the point cloud, I make a mesh from the object or the object clutter. And I use the, a mesh from the gripper. And this, of course, is then dependent on the gripper mesh and dependent on the object, but it it uh, grasps affordance of the object. So the potential that the object being grasped um, is independent from the gripper. And even if there are different grippers, it's normally kind of easy to adapt the approach in a way that you can use different grippers. And most of the time, um, the two-finger gripper is enough anyway. By the way, comes okay. into my mind, um, there is also a reason there are these clay machines with three fingers. You know, okay. these um, machines um, where in American comedies, it seems they are used to trap small children. So where we had a claw and could go down and try to pick up toys from outside by controlling the claw. And these okay. are often three fingers with a, a 
uh, equal distance of, of all three fingers. And this way, for example, is extremely hard to pick up stuff. So it has a re reason why these are used. So yeah, just another argument or um, why I think that um, two finger gripper are often enough. And for okay. example, so what's the problem? Gripper. What's the problem? I didn't get it. What's the problem with the three finger gripper? Okay. So if you have a claw gripper and three yeah. fingers in, in the same um, the same distance and you grasp objects it it's often it, it just easy the object easily falls out ah, okay and then therefore you can make such machines because I, I think if you had a two gripper then the producers would lose way more toys because for kids it would be way easier to get the, the toys out of the machine <laughs> okay and yeah, that's so, so interesting it just an, an yeah. argument mm -hmm. for um not using, for example, free yeah. uh, claw grippers. And, and so I was talking actually about, um, yeah, so my method to um, calculate exactly how far the gripper should go, because normally I think it's quite good to go with the gripper quite almost until you touch the object and maybe go a bit, few millimeters one centimeter back and then this is the position that the gripper should reach before it closes hmm. um, in practice this um, makes a lot of sense and therefore i have always a simulation part where i use collision um, detection in simulation to calculate um, what is a good distance or what is a good um, final grasp position hmm. um, where the gripper should go okay and uh, the third main part of the grasping pipeline is, is always calibration. So I mentioned this before, um, camera calibration, arm calibration, um, checking the, the model. Sometimes the cut model has even mm. issues or depending on the arm position, if it's so or just so, um, gravity makes a difference. And so calibration, has been a very important uh, part of topic yeah. in, in my um, grasping being work. Yeah. Hey guys, I really hope that you enjoyed this particular conversation and it helped you in some way, shape or form. If it did, make sure to hit the subscribe button and the notification icon or the bell icon so that you can get notified on time whenever the next part is out. Also, it would be really great if you could give me your feedback in the comments below. That would really help me improve. I'm uploading small clips of the long podcasts on a regular basis on platforms like LinkedIn, Facebook and Instagram. So make sure to follow me on these platforms if you're someone who cannot take out time for the long episodes. The podcasts are also available on all major podcast platforms including Spotify and Google Podcasts.